Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of HR Works. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. Today, rather than another episode of HR Works COVID-19 update, we'll be discussing the recent situation in DC. It was just last Wednesday when an unprecedented attack on the Capitol captured the attention of the world. I, for one, watched with disbelief as doors were breached, police were overrun, mace was used by both attackers and defenders, and even uh, as a woman died. We later learned that a police officer was also killed and several health-related emergencies resulted in deaths as well. It was a grim scene and one that reminds us that even those places that are supposed to be secure can have serious security flaws. Ahead of the inauguration, the FBI recently warned all 50 states that there might be armed violence uh, around the around that time frame. We've all seen the pictures of the National Guard in the Capitol building. Um, I just read today that airlines aren't allowing people to check uh, firearms into airplanes if they're going to D.C. There have been a number of other actions that have been taken that I'm sure we're unaware of. Um, but not everywhere has such resources to protect themselves to that degree. And, and this whole experience is a, a good lesson for employers and HR professionals that are responsible for the security of their organization um, and, and their employees. So... I'm lucky to be joined today by Ty Smith, a retired Navy SEAL and founder and CEO of ComSafe AI, an African-American and disabled veteran-owned technology company that helps companies disrupt emerging threats via an AI communications analysis system that helps companies identify and mitigate toxic communications in the workplace before they escalate. Thank you, Ty, so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me, Jim. Absolutely. When this whole situation first started, you know, I was alerted by friends online saying, hey, are you seeing what's happening? It's one of those things kind of like when 9-11 started, uh, where the gravity of the situation was not yet clear, you know. Um, so I was watching on TV and social media as those doors are getting busted down and the windows are getting broken. And my first thought as a, an HR professional, sorry, as an HR expert was, man, a lot of people are going to get fired after all this is over. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not wearing masks. Mm-hmm. They're making political statements. And then, of course, the gravity of the situation set in and it became a completely different situation. Um, I don't know where exactly we should get started, but uh, maybe we should just talk about why, as far as what we know, what the facts are, why it was even possible for that to happen. Sure. Well, It is my opinion that in order for a smaller force to have the tactical advantage over a larger force, especially a force that is prepared, that smaller force has to have some kind of early warning. They have to have a way to understand what is actually happening and what to be prepared for prior to having to deal with that situation. Because what we saw take place at the United States Capitol was a great example of our law enforcement officers being totally overcome by events. And this is not, it's not on them in my opinion, because you had a severely limited amount of law enforcement officers that were bravely trying to hold down the fort against 
a completely overwhelming number of people that had already made up in their mind that that we came here for a reason and we are going to have our way and obviously by any means necessary. So in order for the law enforcement officers at the US Capitol to have gained control of a situation like that, they would have had to have early warning. And because they didn't have that early warning, because, well, some would argue that they, you know, that we know of, some would argue that there was, you know, intelligence leading up to, to this, but because they didn't act on that information, they were quickly overcome by events. Yeah, it's a, it's a really powerful reminder of um, the real weakness in any security system, which is people. Right. right. It was, right. we saw the videos of certain individuals that certainly appeared to be police officers letting certain crowds into areas at the same time that other police officers fought for their lives, um, which led to a, I think, a crumbling of trust amongst the senators and congressmen that were taking shelter in the building, you know, when they were, when they were being evacuated. Uh, AOC said on a, a live chat the other day that she would run into police officers and was unaware if, or wasn't, she wasn't sure if that was going to be one of the, the ones that was going to help her or, or do something else. And mm-hmm. that is other than being totally, totally crazy and terrifying. It just shows how uh, a, a symbol and an, and an edifice like the Capitol building, it's supposed to be, I mean, you would imagine it's unbreachable. Mm-hmm. Um, how something as simple as just the question of are these guys on our side, whether they were or not, just the question, uh, are these guys going to protect us or not, can lead to a security threat of its own. No, you're right. And, and it is absolutely terrifying when you don't know if you can trust the very people that you're employing to protect you or at least fight alongside you. You know, this reminds me of, you know, several instances throughout my career in the SEAL teams being overseas in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and having to deal with, you know, the beyond horrible situation of, you know, your friendly forces turning their weapons against you. You know, we would work with Afghani special operations commandos. And there were several instances where in the middle of a fight for our lives, you know, our you know, quote unquote friendly Afghani forces then turn their weapons on us. And that's when the situation becomes almost beyond dire because now it's like we have no idea who is who and we're in a fight for our lives right now. And it, it really saddens me to know that, you know, that was a very similar situation that our leadership was dealing with that day. And it is terrifying. You know, you're running toward people that are supposed to be your protectors only to find out that that isn't necessarily the case. So I said this when I wrote an article a few months back uh, that went viral overnight regarding, you know, the death of George Floyd and and how we have to prepare to move forward as a nation. But our law enforcement community is no different than any other organization of 
people. You take any group of people and unfortunately, a certain percentage of that group is going to be rotten. All people are all people. It doesn't matter if you're black, you're white, gay, straight, Arab, American. Human beings are human beings. And if you take a group of people, a certain percentage of them, they're going to be rotten. Our military is no different. Our law enforcement community is no different. That's why these organizations have to lean on advanced technology in order to have early warning, including our law enforcement community. That's one of the reasons why we created ComSafe AI, and we want to employ this technology even within the law enforcement community, because when it comes down to it, not all law enforcement is bad and corrupt and racist. That's ridiculous. It's no different from saying that all Black people are criminals and all white people are racist. I mean, it just, it sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. But the problem that we're facing is that the American public is in a position, a very dangerous position to where now we don't know who's who in the zoo in our law enforcement community. We don't know if we can trust them because they're not sure if they can trust one another. And that's why we need advanced technologies to help even our law enforcement community understand who are the bad apples operating within the community that we need to get rid of right now in order to regain the trust of the public. Yeah, and I should add that, you know, if it weren't for other police officers, the situation would have that were that were good and did the right thing, did their duty, uh, we would be in a very different situation. There was a uh, Eugene Goodman who recognized that a large portion of the mob had reached just within 10 feet of unsecured doors to the actual Senate chamber. Um it's that same door that you later on saw all the armed officers barricading right. with a, a right. cabinet, but that barricade wasn't in place at that time. And he mm-hmm. led them away um, by, by chasing them up the stairs. I saw that video before I knew the context and, you know, I felt bad for that officer. It looked like he was being, you know, hunted. And then when you realize later on what he was really doing, I mean, that's, that was, it was heroic. the difference between this thing being what it is now, which is a failed coup, and what it could have been, which is there were senators and congressmen in that room um, with just a handful of armed individuals protecting them. I agree with you. It was absolutely heroic, his, his actions. And it, it, it's more than just, oh, well, he led them away from where our leadership was, was gathered in that, that one room, it, it's really important for people to understand what's happening to a human being and their psychological state when you're under that kind of duress, that kind of stress where you know without a doubt that your life is on the line and if you make one wrong move, you are going to die, possibly a terrible death. For him to have had that kind of mental resolve to where knowing that he was facing that kind of danger and threat to his life, he was still able to remain calm and work the problem in his head and understand where everyone was and that he needed to lead that group away from, away from our leadership. That was, it was incredible. It was the definition of courage under fire. Yeah. It was heroic in my opinion. Yeah. And it, I know we haven't really talked too much about the uh, the employer perspective, and, and we're getting there. Um, 
but it, it highlights how important good communication is um, during a crisis and practicing and preparing for good communication because with that many people in one location and all that chaos um, and all those different kinds of threats, because you know there were bombs were found there, some people had guns. Right. Uh, there, there are people using American flags as like spears and javelins. Some of them had right. mace that they were attacking police officers with. I mean, if your communication isn't good, if that officer hadn't hadn't you know communicated with his fellow officers that were upstairs waiting for the mob, waiting to to occupy their time, really, um, you know, it could have just been a a story where he could have saved them, but he could have been you know cornered and, and killed or or right. severely severely injured. Right. That. I think it's it's sort of like Mike Tyson says, right? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. um, it's so easy for people that haven't been in combat, and I'm one of these people, to think I'll have time to do what I need to do when something happens. I'll have the wherewithal to make the right moves. I'll have the capability to defend myself and my family. Um, whereas once it happens, it happens so quickly that if you're relying on sort of your gut reflexes and reactions, you know, you're, you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage. And the same is true for, for employers and apparently for, for Capitol Police. No, you're absolutely right. And when it comes down to scenarios like that, if a person doesn't have a significant amount of training to fall back on, when the situation begins to deteriorate so rapidly that it's hard to even think about organizing your thoughts, then they're going to be lost. Because again, when a person comes under that kind of duress, that kind of psychological stress, the brain's natural inclination is to stop working. You know, you're really, that's when you hear people go, I couldn't even think straight. It was happening so quickly. The brain wants to shut yeah. down. It's a part of that that fight or flight, you know, instinct that we always talk about. So unless you have some training in the back of your mind for your brain to, to grab a hold of when it wants to shut down, you're going to be in trouble. It, it is not what people think, you know, you know, people watch movies and, and play video games. And like you said, they think that, well, if, you know, if the, you know, what hits the fan, I'll, I'll be okay but it's a totally different scenario when it's you in the middle of that dire situation. Last time you and I talked, it was for a, an article and I'll, I'll include a link to that article uh, in the description um, where we discussed at length the new threats that, that coronavirus has brought to us. And it may not be immediately clear to our audience that there were new threats that were coronavirus related at this event. Do you mind just discussing that a little bit? Sure. So unfortunately, over the last year, as we've been dealing with the coronavirus, we have discovered the emergence of more than 10 new threat trends that employees have to deal with, even though most of us are working from home. So we've seen a massive spike in the sale of firearms. I believe there were just over 15 million firearms that were sold in the United States in 2020. I, I think wow. June had a record-breaking, nearly 4 million firearms were sold in June alone. We've also seen a massive spike in the sale of ghost gun parts. And yeah. this is where this gets really, really shady. Because like you said, all of these people 
that showed up at the United States Capitol. We had no idea who they were or what they had on them. We only know that some people were armed. There were bombs, there were firearms, there were blades, there were spears. But with the increase of ghost gun parts, we have no idea how many of those people had firearms that they had piecemealed together. And those firearms are completely untraceable. There, there's no way to find out know who actually owned those firearms had they been employed and then just tossed. We've also seen a massive spike in child abuse. We've seen a massive increase in cyber sexual harassment, cyber bullying, cyber stalking, domestic violence. And I think about five or six months ago, you know, even the national security arm of the Department of Justice released a public memo stating that as a result of this pandemic, homegrown terror is on the rise and that this pandemic has given these terror cells new ways of attacking new targets. And one of the things that we have to consider is that when those hundreds of people breached the United States Capitol, how many of those people were potentially infected with the COVID-19 virus? Yeah. How many of those people were purposely taking the coronavirus inside the United States Capitol. That's something that we have to be concerned with. So yeah, over the last year, there's been a lot of situations involving new threats to employees, people in this country have sprung up as a result of this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the same crowd that that was invading the Capitol is also the crowd of people that don't typically believe in wearing masks. And indeed, very right. few of them were. Some people right. were, most of them weren't. They're crammed in tight spaces. They're shouting, they're breathing, they're mm -hmm. all over each other. I mean, it's amongst themselves, it's an extreme security risk that right. I think many of them will, will learn over the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. But then you had this secondary situation where senators and congressmen were corralled into tight spaces as they they fled the attackers and people um, some people refused to wear masks. Right. You know, so now you and we've heard since then at least three cases of of congressmen and, and senators getting um, getting coronavirus right right after. Right. That's. This sort of secondary, you know, it's maybe it wasn't on purpose, but then again, it wouldn't be that hard to envision saying, well, if we attack this room, they're going to put them all in one room. And we know that some people don't wear masks and a bunch of people are going to get sick. You know, it's and secondary I, damage. Yeah. And I don't think it's outside of the realm of reality to assume that those conversations were had. Those conversations were had in person. They were had over email. They were had over chat. They were had over, over social media, but when I put on my, my physical security thinking cap, you know, that was honed over a two decade career in the United States military, most of that being spent in the SEAL teams, I don't think it's outside of the realm of, of reality at all, because just over the last five minutes, you and I have discussed it as though it's common sense. And we know that there were thousands of people that were organizing this this siege is what it's being called. So I think it's absolutely possible that at least one person thought to bring this up. 
Absolutely. Well, there's one one other thing I want to talk about before we talk. We're rooted in players, and bear with me, listeners. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to a lot of lessons here. One one is that a lot of security minded individuals, um, particularly if they're amateurs, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, because I myself am an amateur, um, get hyper focused on individual threats. You yeah. know, it's if you defend your, you know, if you build a bunker in your backyard because you think that that there's going to be a nuclear apocalypse, but then there's, I don't know, a drought instead. You're not prepared for that. You were prepared for the one thing, not the other thing. It's easy to get focused on this attack, that attack. And in the workplace, that happens very much because the the primary forms of violence in a workplace are uh, physical hand-to-hand violence, you mm-hmm. know, someone attacking somebody else, uh, knives, guns, and in some cases, explosives. You know, you do see some instances where people are using fire too, but it's all very physical threats. At this event, all of those things were happening. Right. You know, your system might be ready for for an active shooter. Maybe you don't active shooter training, but have you done active shooter training while people are macing you and maybe blocking the rear door and lighting a building on fire? <laughs> you know? Right, right. Probably not. Right, and... and, and- there wasn't, you weren't just dealing with, you know, one active shooter. I mean, gosh, that almost would have been a better situation. But instead, those law enforcement officers were dealing with hundreds of angry protesters, and they had no idea who was armed and who was not. They had no idea, you know, at the drop of a hat, when and this would become an active shooter scenario because they didn't know who was armed and and who wasn't so it was it was a much more dangerous scenario in my opinion than just the lone active shooter which leads us to what lessons can we learn from this that employers can take away what what are the risks that you know particularly over the next week but i could see these risks continuing on into the next year what unique threats do does this risk have for employers and then generally speaking what kinds of what kinds of lessons can we learn from what happened sure i think first and foremost we have to acknowledge the fact that unless employers have a protective intelligence system in place so that they have early warning when employees are having conversations that are unbecoming of the organization or that could tarnish or damage the organization's culture and brand, then those organizations are in trouble. Because what we're seeing now, again, after the fact, the damage has been done, we're seeing law enforcement just going on a terror, fining these these individuals and making sure that they pay for what they did. But these individuals, no, not all of these people were average everydayers. A lot of these people were really important people, like executives at businesses. And so now these companies are, are worried about, well, if one of those individuals happened to be an executive at our company, how is that going to affect our brand once this goes public? Once that person gets wrapped up by law enforcement and it becomes public knowledge that that person had something to do with the siege in the Capitol, and they work for this particular organization, especially if, if they're a public company, 
now the organization has to be seriously concerned with their culture and their brand and the loss of revenue that's going to come with that tarnishing of their brand because of that one particular person, let alone if they had multiple, you know, they just happened to be unlucky enough to have multiple employees yeah. that flew out to DC in order to attend that. So we have to worry about how that's going to affect the organization's culture, how it's going to affect their brand. We also have to be concerned with the fact that, you know, just because a person didn't show up to that siege, it doesn't mean that they didn't support it. It doesn't mean that they're not at home celebrating quietly as they're watching this unfold on the television. So organizations have to worry about, hey, who are our employees really? What, what, what are they following? What are they talking about amongst one another? Because like I said, it wasn't a coincidence that everybody just happened to show up in DC at the same time, know these people were organized and they did it through phone conversations, email conversations, chat and social media conversations. And so again, if organizations don't have some kind of early warning solution or protective intelligence solution, like what we've created in place, they have no idea where those liabilities are. And that's exactly what they are. They are hidden liabilities that are gonna cost the organization money if these liabilities actually come to light. So we have to worry about the brand. We have to worry about the culture within the company. We have to worry about some of these bad actors being employees and getting into physical and verbal altercations with other employees at the company. So now yeah. they're attacking the productivity of other employees that don't want to have anything to do with those beliefs. So there, there's a myriad uh, of different variables that we have to consider. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot over the last week is that was one instance where a large group of people were, were able to coalesce and attack a singular target, um, at least from a physical you know, building standpoint. Um, the chances of that happening in the Capitol again are limited. I mean, we have soldiers on the ground. You have, you know, Airbnb shut down, um, housing, so people couldn't get hotels until the inauguration mm -hmm. is over. Um, but it's a big, it's a big country. These people are spread out everywhere. And if they were willing to, you know, bash a police officer to death with an American flag while the national anthem is being sung, you know, what aren't they capable of? And so what I've been thinking about is what is the threat for other places? What is the threat for, I mean, Am, am I at threat? What about people's organizations and companies? Are we likely to see attacks on, on them? Well, you know, is, would it be just federal officers and, and, and employers or, or people that do federal contracting? I mean, it's just, it's really unknown. We know that there's this energy, there's this powder keg building, and we just have to get through like six more days or seven more days before we can, uh, maybe get a little bit of relaxation, but man, a lot of things can happen. Inside well, and that's what we're hoping, right? We're hoping that in about six more days, you know, we can put this behind us and it's going to blow over and we're going to, we're going to be able to, to look forward to just dealing with the coronavirus and how we make it out of that. But when it comes down to it, we have no idea. We have no idea. And 
unfortunately, what we've learned is that Americans, we, we sometimes have short-term memories. You know, so right now we're not worried about the United States Capitol being seized again because there's National Guard. You know, we've, we've increased law enforcement. So right now everything is okay. But what about when our short-term memory kicks in and we all relax again a couple months from now? Do we have to worry about it happening again because we've relaxed and security's gone back to normal? You know, or does this mean that we're going to drastically increase physical security of, of every federal building in the United States? What's that gonna cost taxpayers? We have no idea. So yeah, we're just gonna have to wait it out and see. But unfortunately, law enforcement doesn't have the ability of, of just sitting back and waiting to see what happens. Again, they have to get ahead of these situations. They have to employ tactics and technology in order to have early warnings so that when these things do happen, they aren't overcome by events within minutes. What would your practical advice to employers that think that they might be a target or they might have some sort of, of violence spilling over uh, or being directed towards their, their employers, uh, sorry, towards their employees uh, in this circumstance? My first bit of advice would be that if they are concerned with it, they need to address it right now. We cannot allow ourselves to be in a position to be overcome by events. And now we're trying to claw our way out of that hole instead of avoiding it altogether. So if this is a concern, start investing right now in preparing your organization and your employees. Start investing in a protective intelligence solution, an AI solution that allows you to know when trouble is brewing, when there are hidden liabilities within the internal communications of the company. Train your employees so that they understand what are, what are some human behaviors that they need to look out for. And if they see humans behaving in this way and it's making them feel nervous or afraid for their physical safety, how do they report that to the organization? Who within the organization do they report that information to? Do employees know when to drop everything and just immediately call 911 because of something they've seen or something that they've heard? So that's where training is really, really, really important. But those are the first two things that we always lean on when we consult our clients, is there a way for you to get ahead of the problem so that you can avoid it altogether if possible or immediately snatch it at the very beginning before it, it develops into something much larger? And have you trained your employees? Do you know what to expect of them in case of trouble? And do they know what to expect of you? Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, there's, there's kind of one other issue um, which has to do with, and we've touched on it a little bit, which has to do with all almost all of these people had jobs. Um, it was uh, one of the incongruous things about it. One of the things that was sort of surreal was watching the videos of people that were clearly just at the riot, uh, at the siege, on airplanes, you know, laughing like a bunch of bunch of high school kids, you know, and harassing people. Like they they went to the Capitol, committed all kinds of crimes, and then flew home like they were going to just go to work the next day and a bunch of them a bunch of them did go to work the next day you so you have a lot of employers out there that have people that have committed federal crimes 
working at their organization right now. And I don't know if you listened to the FBI statement the other day, they're taking it very seriously and they're basically the long and short of it was we're coming for you. So now you have desperate people, perhaps, that have committed federal crimes that are working at your your organization, Um, which is a crazy, a crazy situation to be in. What should employers be doing right now to sort of understand if there's people in their organization that maybe were there or, or get ready for something like, like that? I don't don't even know how to ask the question, frankly. It's so, so. No, I I, I understand. Uh, I think that it's up to organizational leadership to first and foremost, be aware of the problem and aware of the potential that they have employees that were involved in that siege. And I think that they have to start communicating with their workforce as quickly as possible. Leadership has to take control of the situation and control the narrative instead of just leaving it in the, the hands and that the minds of employees to wonder what in the world is going on and is there anyone that works at the company that could have potentially been involved in this situation? How is it going to affect me and my job? Are we going to have the FBI crawling around the company? So leadership has to get ahead of it and they have to do it immediately. Even if it's as simple as putting out a memo saying, hey, listen, we're aware of what happened in our nation's capital. Um, you know, we definitely don't condone that kind of behavior from our employees. We're completely against it. And if any of you had anything to do with with what happened last week or know of anyone within the company that had something to do with it, it's best that you bring it to our attention right now instead of waiting for us to find out after the fact or we get the FBI banging down our doors. So organizations you know, even if it's a matter of knowing that, hey, nobody's going to raise their hand and go, hey, yeah, it was me. I was there. <laughs> but organizational leadership has to has to, to put a protective umbrella over the company and take charge of the situation and, and have the ability to say, no, your honor, like, as soon as it happens, we put out a message to our staff, letting them know that we are totally against it. And if you had anything to do with it, you need to come forward right now. But that should be the first thing that organizations should look to do is, is start communicating with their employees. Well, I think that's, a, that's about it for now. What are, uh, what are we missing? Uh, any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I think that Americans have to understand that this scenario has developed. If you haven't realized it by now, you need to realize it right now. This scenario has developed into a serious matter of national security, an extremely dire circumstance of national security. Because you said it earlier, what we witnessed was an attempted coup, a siege of the United States Capitol. We are infighting now. We're fighting one another. And we have no idea what's happening beyond our horizon. So if I were the enemy of the state, I would just be calmly sitting back and watching and just waiting for my moment to attack. Like, it's like, well, they're not paying any attention to me. I'm pretty much invisible. I can move freely, you know, amongst my enemies because they're too busy fighting one another. So I think that it's important for the American people to realize that, 
hey, all of this infighting we're doing, all of this attacking one another that we're doing, all we're doing is, is empowering and emboldening our nation's enemies. And I hope that it doesn't take another 9-11 for us to realize that we should all be on the same side. We are all Americans. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, white, black, gay, straight. It doesn't matter if you immigrated to this country and now you're an American citizen. We are all on the same side. And it's time for us to sit down, put our weapons down and talk and listen to one another. Well, Ty, thank you so much for taking the time and for joining us today. You got it. Anytime. Listeners, please check back next week for more HRWorks episodes. You can always follow us on Twitter at HRWorks Podcast. This is Jim Davis with HRWorks.